Welcome to Explore Expert Conversations, presented by Realogy, bringing our global network to your front door. Hello and welcome to another episode of Explore Expert Conversations, brought to you by Realogy. Our show features discussions with leaders across the Realogy brands and the industry at large, with high-level advice for brokers, agents, and investors worldwide. I'm Matthew Ferrara, philosopher, speaker, and real estate industry expert, and today I'm proud to present another exciting panel conversation featuring leading trade associations discussing the new mainstream economy and demographic trends driving real estate growth. So let's listen into our panel, and I'll be back with more later. Thanks again for listening to Explore Expert Conversations, bringing you insights and resources from across the real estate industry. Let's get into what is definitely going to be a very insightful conversation. Joining our four leaders, four people who are uh, have been not only heads in their markets, but heads in uh, their special leadership roles in charge of helping all of us tap into and engage and grow through the diversity markets that are not just driving the real estate industry, but obviously driving the growth of our country. And so I want to introduce them really quickly, and then I want to jump into some amazing stuff that's been happening and share their wisdom with you. So kicking us off, Norina Limon is the Senior Vice President of Public Policy and Industry Relations for the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, that's NAREP, for those of us in the know, if you will. And she heads the organization's policy and advocacy efforts on a wide range of issues, including home ownership, housing inventory, credit access, um, and immigration. She also runs the Hispanic Wealth Project, which uh, we'll hear a little bit about today. It's fascinating. It's an initiative that really seeks to triple the median household wealth for Latinos in just the next five years or less, actually, uh, at this point. But she has a tremendous career. She spent six years at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. She was in the office of the director and the office of uh, mortgage markets. She worked on many of the things that became part of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, which is not easy to say, but it's important (laughs) to know about for sure. And even before that, she worked in the White House at the White House Office of Political Affairs, managing relationships with the president in Western and Southern United States. So tremendous background, Narena. We're so glad you're with us here today. And we're looking forward to what you have to say. Also with us, James Huang is the president of commercial for EXP World Holdings. So good to see you, James. He's also the principal and founder of BRC Advisors and the CEO of BRC Bel Air Holdings, which is a private equity firm in real estate. He's recently just installed last year as the national president of ARIA, the Asian Real Estate Association of America. James, good to have you with us here today. Also uh, with us is a, a friend of mine I've, I've worked with many times on panels in the Donnell Williams. He is the broker of record and the owner of Destiny Realty, headquartered in Morristown, New Jersey. They also have a branch office in Newark. He serves as the president-elect for the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, or NAREB. Destiny Realty is actually one of the largest African-American independently owned real estate brokerages in New Jersey. And as a longtime member of NAREB, Mr. Williams has been actively involved in the association's efforts to promote the meaningful exchange of ideas about real estate business and how to best 
serve clientele. Donnell, good to see you here with us today. Thanks for sharing your insights. And certainly, last but not least, John Thorpe. John Thorpe is, um, well, gosh, he started his real estate career in 1999 as a real estate agent, but now has been a part of Realogy since 2004. He's worked as a manager, a trainer, a business consultant, a recruiter, and even a member of the franchise sales team. For the last seven years, he has been the regional vice president, membership development for Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, and was recently honored with the Crusader Award by Risk Media for his work in the LGBTQ community, including, of course, his role as chair of Realogy's LGBTQ Employee Resource Group, which we call Real Pride. John, glad you're with us here as well. So thanks all of you for sharing your insights and your enthusiasm also for these really important issues. Let me just kick this off and I'm gonna go right over to Narina to start and just talk a little bit about the associations that you are the leaders for. Just tell us a little bit, well, also about yourself, of course, but you know, tell us about the associations because when we think about these associations, they have grown so much in the last decade. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having us and uh, hello to the rest of the panel. I'm so excited to be here with all of you. Well, NAREP, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, is actually having its national conference right now called NAREP at Latitude. We are an organization that is individuals across the nation. We have over 100 chapters comprising of realtors, of loan officers, title companies, so the entire gamut of people involved in the homeownership space. And our mission is to advance sustainable Hispanic homeownership. We so happen to work within the, the housing industry, but we actually, our mission and the reason we focus on housing is because of its role it plays in building wealth. So we see ourselves as an economic mobility organization of sorts more than anything. So excited to be here with, with all of you. Thrilled you're here. And uh, yes, I, I myself am a member of NAREP and uh, I know the work that they've done for the years that I've been a member. And in terms of building wealth, they're a tremendous advocate. And I can't wait to get into some of the numbers yeah. and not just the numbers of members, but the numbers of the potential that's just out there in the Hispanic community. So awesome to, uh, to have you uh, with us. Donnell Williams, tell us a little bit more about yourself and about NAREB as well, because I know you have been part of that organization for quite a while and they've been doing tremendous work for many, many years. Well, thank you very much. I am the president of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. I like to pronounce it N-A-R-E-B or identify it as N-A-R-E-B. We are constantly, even though we're 73 years old, we keep getting kind of mixed up with NARAP. Yeah, so, they call us NARAP as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to draw the line in the sand here, N-A-R-E-B. We'll, we'll use the I, initials today for sure. I believe that uh, for African-Americans, for black real estate professionals across the country, that we are the premier organization for networking, advocacy, relationships, education, and business, N-A-R-E-B. I've been there for some time. The organization is 73 years old. We have had tremendous growth with our uh, the initiatives that I've been the architect of as far as, you know, propelling and, and assisting uh, our clientele to be more educated in, in home ownership. So we are definitely excited. There's a new energy, a new resurgence, let's say. That's where we are right now, Matt. Cool. 
All right. Well, we're going to dig into some of the, the major trends, obviously, that NAREB not only follows, but has helped influence in just a few minutes. But, but thanks for that. John Thorpe, tell us a little bit more about yourself and also about Realogy's Real Pride initiative. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, with that, uh, leading up the uh, ERG for the Real Pride ERG for the past two years, and this year as co-chair, we've seen a lot of change and been able to do a lot of things within our, our employee population at Realogy, but also to some things on a national scale as well. So what we're doing for our communities out there and working with the different organizations represented today, I hope we can uh, join forces and do that, but very honored to be here. So thank you very much. Well, fantastic. And congratulations. And I guess we just made some news. James Wong, tell us more about yourself and also about ARIA, which uh, very similar to all of the organizations that we're talking to today, has a great history of its mission. Matthew, thank you. And thank you, Realogy, for inviting me and all the wonderful panelists. But ARIA was founded in 2003, uh, the Asian Real Estate Association of America by John Wong and Alan Okamoto. We're here for sustainable home ownership in the AAPI community and for that large national voice that we're all trying to do to, to help with fair housing, opportunities, wealth creation within buying homes and, and having the right to buy where you want. And we are open and uh, available for anyone that wants to join. And one of the big things about ARIA, you know, if you look at our membership, it's actually 50% probably or more non-Asians, but, but we're here to collaborate and work with everyone. And I just really miss everyone and, and wish I could see everyone in person again, but very soon, very soon. So thank you. Well, James, we're glad you're also with us. And, you know, I agree with you. I do miss, you know, first of all, the energy at these conferences and the learning, but just seeing all of you. So we're very lucky that we could do it by video. And I also want to pick up on that, James, as you said, all of these associations are open to everybody, right? So while they have a focus on a demographic and a diversity group that's important to understand and know its numbers and know its impact on the business, you know, this is very important to realize they should be members of all of these associations associations like I am, like, you know, many of the professionals that we all know are simply because of the networking, of the learning, of the ability to, you know, work together to promote, as you said, fair housing, wealth, and the interests of diverse demographics. Let's talk about demographics. I want to run through our panel real quick here and do some numbers because we often think about each of the diversity markets that are out there. We look at them as an industry really recognize the scope of opportunity and the scope of potential within them. So I'm gonna to go to James first here on this one. And we are nationally at just about 55.8% of the population. And the one thing interesting we did this year is we disaggregated the AAPI community because everyone thinks we're a monolith. You call us Asians. Yes, yeah. we are. But we are 51 different languages within this and 26 different countries. So it is a large group to kind of corral together. As we know, all of us leaders trying to organize events and everything with so many people, very, very tough. But the diversity within the AAPI community is just very broad. So when you look at it from the Asian continent, the Pacific Islander, there is a big difference. Even though on the average, and I'm proud to announce that we have broken about the 60% for home ownership. So we're at 61% for the AAPI. But when you look at the data, it goes as low as 25% for micro Asians, all the way up to Taiwanese, where it's about 70%. So there is a broad spectrum. So if you lump it all together, yes, you get 61%. But if you really break it down, you know, there's some work in different communities within the AAPI community that really needs help. 
and you will leave people behind by saying, well, the average looks good, this looks good, but you know, you're, you're going to leave a part of our community out because you're doing the average. Okay, so let me just clarify that for our viewers just to begin with. When you say 61%, you're basically saying 61% of Asian American Pacific Islanders are homeowners. They have a homeownership rate of 61%. So highly participatory in the housing industry. Although if we break down those numbers, some of the demographic is probably a little higher. Some of the demographic is obviously a little lower. And this is, you know, some 25 million plus people in the United States that we're talking about here when we look at this data. Tell us a little bit, though, in general, trend-wise, in terms of this demographic's age, this demographic's household income. These are, I think, important. And of course, median household value is, I think, a key number as well here. And, and thank you for bringing up that, Matthew. So one of the things with the AAPI, many come as immigrants. Almost more than 50% immigrate to the right. U.S. So it's not that we're just organically growing, right? But they immigrate to the U.S. So over 50% of the Pacific Islanders immigrate, while 64% come from Asia. And one of the unique characteristics about the home ownership or the homes is they're higher in price because most of the time they're in the gateway cities, the West Coast, the East Coast, uh, the more expensive cities. So, so to really save up to buy the homes, they, they usually have higher mortgage values. Plus, they have multiple co-signers, if we see, because of just the pricing. But an interesting study that's going on, many AAPIs and immigrants, as they come into the major cities, they move into the Midwest and South because of the affordability factor. So you will see a lot popping up in Texas, a lot of popping up in Alabama, the Carolinas, you know, just they are moving around once they come and get into the U.S. They decide for affordability schools and other benefits. They move to other parts of the country. But that is a very big trend right now going to the Midwest and the South. Okay. And now just to put some numbers on that, in the last report that you re released, you know, Asian American median household value was about 445, let's just call it $450,000. That's, you know, significantly higher than the national average. And the average median household income is almost $90,000. Again, about 40% higher than the national average. So affluent, capable, and mobile. I love this idea that you just shared with us that, you know, they come through the gateway cities, but they are just part of the fabric of the United States. They're just part of the fabric of every community and they're moving to places where there's opportunity. So I absolutely love that. Let me bring Narina into the, uh, the conversation here for a second, because, you know, I'm not playing favorites here, but my second favorite report, if you will, is NAREP's report, which is another just treasure chest of information about the uh, Latino community and about Hispanic home ownership rate. And, and beyond that, also just the general business uh, rate at which they start businesses, their participation in the economy, and the fact that they are, the well, I think, the fastest growing segment of our household formation in the United States. Tell us a little bit about the demographics driving the Latino community. Thank you. Fastest growing household formations, but also the fastest growing population with large. Right. The Latino population is the second largest demographic. We are now at 59.9 million, so just under 60 million. And we comprise 18.3% of the population. And if you look at the last decade, Latinos have accounted for over 50% of not only the population growth, but of the homeownership growth. 
So if you look at the time, Latinos and communities of color, the African-American Latino community was devastated after the Great Recession. Latinos lost two-thirds of their household wealth. But we have seen some ardent desire for homeownership in a precarious way where Latinos have increased their homeownership rates for five consecutive years for the first demographic, even before the non-Hispanic white population to increase the rate of homeownership after the Great Recession. And we're seeing promising signs in the sense that the household formation is a key indicator of housing demand. You know, if we look at the demographic, the Latino population has a median age of 29.8. So it's a very young population. If you think of 29-year-olds, Latinos are just aging into prime home buying years. And you look at, you know, the population at large, one in four Latinos is under 18. So it's a very young population. So the growth that we're seeing is only expected to grow exponentially in the coming years. Obviously, we're now facing with uh, some disproportionate impacts by, by COVID-19, and we don't, that is likely to impact that homeownership growth. You know, we're still waiting to see what, what happens uh, with that. But yeah, I mean, if you look at our data, the Latino homeowner, we looked at last year, we looked at what the median Latino homeowner is. So we saw that they have a median income of about 68000 which is about 32% greater than the, the median income of Latinos uh, at large. They're purchasing a home at a median price of $225,000. Um, that's not California. <laughs> right, right. I am. Um, but they are uh, putting down a median of 3.5% down. So definitely relying on the affordable products available in the industry have a median credit score of about 684. So we're looking at the outsized impact that the Latino demographic is going to have on the future of the housing industry. We really need to look at who these Latinos are or who, who these communities are, how they're purchasing homes, what their current financial situation and Kind of what James said, Latino community is concentrated in high cost areas. Uh, and the way that they're purchasing homes is by pulling money together in many of these areas with different family members or more likely to live in multi-generational households. Actually, I think the Asian American community, the Latino community are pretty equal when it comes to multi-generational uh, housing. But when we think about products, when we think about our business practices, I mean, that's a very key nuance, I think, that we need to, to think of. <laughs> Definitely. And we are going to talk about some, uh, we want to get your advice on best ways to engage all of these communities. I want to just get a sense though of really the size and the scope and a little bit of the, of the profile, because as you said, there's about 5 million uh, Latino millennials who basically are primed to enter the real estate marketplace yeah. through home ownership as well as rental. And uh, they, um, you know, a home ownership is a big deal culturally in terms of That's building wealth. So. That's also another thing we just have to keep in mind there. So, all right, let me get our other two guests to give us a little bit of insight into the demographics of each of their organizations and, and the groups that they represent. Donnell, tell us a little bit about, you know, the sort of uh, size and impact that your members and also, of course, obviously, you know, the population at large represent? Well, the, the African-American makeup in this country is 13%, but 13% of the American population. The last year, about 12 months ago, it was, we had a 40.6 home ownership rate. I'm happy, I'm not celebratory, but I'm happy that right now we're at 47%. We've got a huge growth spurt due to some of the initiatives that we put place and how we structured it and how we went about 
changing the conversation through our advocacy and our uh, initiatives. We're very pleased about it. We're not, you know, elated. We, we know that there's more work to do. Our homeownership rates have been hindered. Either, you know, there was forethought put into it. Okay, so we're out there trying to capture those folks. There are 1.7 million Black millennials that make over $100,000 a year that do not own a home. We went after that market. There are there, the average rate, 2019 average age uh, in 2019 was 39 to 44 before the first Black person bought their first home. So we are, uh, we've attacked that with a, a ROSI committee, Real Estate Opportunities for Seasoned Individuals. So we are moving. We are moving forward with debt-free programs, what have you, to actually uh, capture and more enlighten and educate our consumer base and our clientele and our neighbors. 47%, which is the last quarter by the U.S. Census Bureau, is just not good enough. That's what we're trying to focus. All right. Well, that, you know, it's good to see some movement in the right direction. But as you said, challenges that we want to be focused on. Obviously, many of our viewers here want to get involved in that. And I'll ask you about in a couple of minutes, I want to come back to you and ask you about the Realist program and how that might, you know, be a way uh, for, for them to participate. John, the LGBTQ community is obviously a significant segment uh, not of home ownership, a significant segment of just uh, the population, but of homeowners. And the numbers in the last 20 years have grown, I mean, dramatically in terms of LGBTQ homeownership access to property, but also just more generally the profile, the, the sort of a consumer profile of LGBTQ buyers and sellers is generally skews a little higher as well. Tell us a little bit about that community. I think I would tell you when you're looking at data, <laughs> I'm preparing for this call, it, a lot of anomalies here. And so it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I can tie it first to the, the census. LGBTQ identifying that that is not an option in the census and that obviously people don't want to change that. So the guesstimation is, I should put it, is from 4 to 10% of the American population is identified as LGBTQ. So that alone is having to look at that. I can actually, I've seen different figures, but as far as the home ownership rate, uh, similar to what Donnell said, it's actually around 47% as well. So it's, it's much lower than the uh, opposite sex uh, home ownership rate as well. So there's a big opportunity there. But then the other anomaly when you go into that is that when you look at the, just alone, the American LGBT economy is larger than the countries of Australia, Canada, and South Korea together. So it's very interesting. And obviously, a lot of that uh, habitation is in your more metropolitan areas. Um, but those things are changing. And obviously, with COVID and work from home, we're obviously looking for those trends. And so definitely what this group wants to do is have those outreach to not only the cities, but also to more smaller cities and rural areas as well. So that's what we see is very much needed when we look at these stats. You know, that's a great point is that it is hard to measure you know, because of the fact that it is not part of the census, hopefully that will change. But more importantly, it also gives the real estate community an opportunity to be on the forefront of that, also to be making sure we can help gather data, we can get some insights. If the government hasn't caught up yet, in the meantime, we can, as you say, especially for a, a, a segment of the, of the population that has such a tremendous purchasing power, such a tremendous impact on the economy in Again, as I think all of you uh, as our guests here today have pointed out, just in every 
corner of every neighborhood of America, you know, and I think that's really important to recognize that while we can uh, look at the demographic and diversity markets in terms of some of their attributes, we also just need to remember these are just neighbors that we work with. These are neighbors we work for, we work with, and that together, you know, home ownership is as important, but understanding that there might be some things we need to do, some steps we need to take, as Donnell pointed out, we might need to be more focused on some of the challenges. I know that in the Hispanic community, there's often challenges in terms of credit access, which is an issue. And even uh, James, in terms of the Asian community, because the Asians, for example, are not big borrowers on credit for smaller purchases. They have what we call like a thin credit profile. So there's a lot of little nuances that smart brokers in the real estate industry want to be aware of if they want to be powerful uh, and powerfully engaged with these communities. So let me just uh, go in reverse order here for a second. John, what would you suggest that our brokers, you know, listening and watching, you know, how do they get involved? How do they learn more, first of all, about LGBTQ needs in the real estate industry? And then how do they, you know, be on the forefront of of meeting those needs and helping make sure that they have uh, not only as much access, but as much uh, outcome? Well, it's a great question for me because actually part of this uh, alliance, you know, why I was drawn to being part of this and other and everyone in the organization is that we already have 35 chapters and we don't have membership yet. So we have about like 13 to 1500 uh, Facebook members as well, but we're starting the membership drive soon. But you know, one of the things that was very important to all of us in, in starting this organization is that we're consumer facing. Um, it's right. an opportunity to get leads and the consumers know where you are, wherever they are in the country. So with the 35 chapters we already have, by the end of the year, our goal is to have a chapter in every state. And so that's a big focus for us is to be outreach. And it's not just buying and selling a house, it's housing and shelter. That's a big focus just to be there holistically for the community. So I see the opportunity as far as what we have focused on with the chapters and our playbook with the chapters is to have engagement for all brokers in the, in the area. And one of the things that we're going to do is offer CE credit in all 50 states. So it's more for our allies to work on the, working with LGBT consumers. So that's something that is really not out there to that degree and something that's needed. So it's definitely part of our, our, our mission to educate. And so it's a resource there. And so I, that from a recruiting and retention and obviously consumer aspect is very important for brokers to hear. So I was just going to say that obviously there's a direct way in which we can engage a community, which would be to make sure that we recruit and retain professionals who are, are members of the LGBTQ community and can, of course, not only you know bring that knowledge and bring that experience into the brokerage, but then help the brokers you know, grow, configure their uh, approach to be more engaging, to do better work with LGBTQ consumers. Absolutely. And I want to add, I mean, just like uh, with James, Serena, and, you know, we have a lot of allies, <laughs> so you don't have to identify as LGBTQ. And so, you know, that's very key is that, you know, they have gay friends or whatever it may be, or just knowing that, hey, I'm working with this agent, I'm not going to be discriminated against. Because let's face it, that's the number one concern is discrimination. I think yes. that's why we're all here. <laughs> and so, yes. you know, having someone, so you don't have to be gay to actually be part of our organization, because we want that insight and input from our allies. And that's very key, just like the other organizations organizations represented here. So it's a great point, right? We all have a role to play. And then obviously, we've each got to step up and that can start in the brokerage. And then it can help make the changes that we want to see. And yes, it's wealth. Yes, it's home ownership. But yes, it's also fair housing. Yes, it's also, you know, equality in the community, equality in society as a whole. Donnell, you bring up a great point, you know, in our in your initial conversation here is that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done 
in the African-American community and home ownership. Tell us what any of our viewers would be able to do. Uh, give us some uh, guidance as to how we can participate. Look, discrimination is real and it's impactful and it impacts for generations. When you have institutions that have done redlining, have, have deliberately and strategically said you're not supposed to buy a house here, you're not supposed to own property and have stopped you, jailed, put people in jail for their property, then it gets into the mindset of generations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is what we are facing today. And I'm actually beginning to turn my, or, or add into my whole collective, black real estate professionals, you know, to be laser focused on that because I believe that affects black, black home ownership. So, so I'm putting some more things in my, in my wheelbarrow, but once you, once you have an institution that says, Hey, and I'm, I'm not going to go that far back. I'm just going to go back to founding of FHA. And they say, we're going to give these types of mortgages out, 3% mortgages, and we're going to give them out only in certain areas. We're going to put red lines and whatnot and section off. And, but then they're going to say, well, whites only, FHA. I mean, you, then you come up with another rule that says HUD section 184, you know, you, you know, come up with this home ownership, Native American home ownership program. So, I mean, discrimination is real. It has affected people in their mindset mm -hmm. whether or not to own a home. The fear of even going into a new community, whether you're a renter or a buyer, you know, we could take uh, New York City or we could take Chicago as an example and say, hey, some people don't want to move from their certain where they're comfortable. You can even take, you know, some some cities in New Jersey, which I will not name. It is real what I'm saying. Absolutely. So, so how would a broker, you know, give our audience a little guidance, like obviously getting involved, understanding that there's laws on the books, there's issues that are institutionally out there that are creating disadvantage as opposed to advantage that they should have. But, you know, how do the brokers who are watching here, what are some simple steps that they might take to be able to be a force for good for the African-American community? Well, we, we do advocate all the time. We believe in advocacy. We believe in that. We believe, we, you know, we have issues. The American Dream Down Payment Savings Plan, where we can actually put money away, just like, like the college savings plan, 529, just like that. We, that's been introduced to Congress. We're, we're pushing that forward. Those are things. Also, helping educate black or, or real estate professionals. Let, let's get some more folks into the business. Let's see if we can't uh, educate some more folks. Let's see if we can't put forth some effort uh, under some of the initiatives that, I, that we enrolled, enrolled in um, with NAREB. I think that bringing financial literacy to the table, uh, whatever platform that comes in, is big. I think that we want to learn. I think that we can learn from each other. This has got to change, but it can't just change with the black community. We need help. We need assistance. We need partnerships, collaborations. That's what I think will move the needle. Makes sense. And I do also, again, I, I echo what you, you know, I think both you and John both said, it's also about us as brokers, making sure we create diversity in our offices so that we can understand the perspectives. They're in the forefront of every conversation that we're having, all the meetings. And then of course, through education, we'll find new strategies for making change. Narina, talk to us a little bit about nuances, things that we need to understand from a business practice standpoint for engaging Latino consumers and some of the challenges they have, you know, which I think 
Very similar to what Donnell is saying, you know, there are certain aspects of the credit system that pose some hurdles for them. There are certain aspects of understanding language to some degree that might pose some hurdles. Tell us a little bit about what we would do to be better prepared to be effective with Latino consumers. Absolutely. So you mentioned it earlier, there are 4.9 million mortgage-ready millennials out there that it's the low-hanging fruit. And I can't think of a better strategy than to diversify your brokerage and to ensure that the people that are at the forefront, also the decision makers, reflect the communities that you're trying to reach because there are nuances that you're only going to know if you've been, for example, me, you know, if you're Latino all your life, you will know some nuances. Like, for example, one of the things that I found, remember, in my family growing up is just how engaged I was in, in financial transactions with my family as a young kid. And that was a lot because of the fact that, you know, I would translate for my parents. My parents were immigrants. And so there is a very nuanced role. The family plays a role in financial decision making from the youngest to the oldest. And so that, I think, is a very important nuance of the Latino community. And also just reaching the young demographic through social media in all the different ways that are reflective and understanding that reaching the Latino community isn't just reaching them through Spanish language media. More and more Latinos are young, born in the U.S., English speakers will know some Spanish words here and there, but that cultural sensitivities is probably more, it's going to be more effective, for example, for someone like me, if I see someone that looks like me speaking in English with maybe throws a little Spanish in there, but not in 100% Spanish. I also, I mean, I, I'm going to agree with Danelle, there's uh, enormous policy implications as well. And that's my background, so I'm going to be a little biased, but I think one of the biggest challenges that Latinos face is the housing inventory problem. With the high concentration and high cost markets, such as California, such as New Jersey, such as the D.C. area, Florida, zoning restrictions and the not-in-my-backyard nimbyism is so strong. Our headquarters are in San Diego, and, and we have been very involved in some of the various legislations around zoning restrictions that have been tried, that, that have been attempted at passing in the California legislature. And the misinformation and the fervently, the, the not in my backyard lobby is, is, is astounding. Uh, and so we, as, as brokers, as real estate professionals, need to really stand up about what this means for the broader conversation about our economy. Also, you know, major implications when it comes to the new definition of the qualified mortgage rule or how expensive loans will be for communities of color if the new HFA capital rule comes to bear. So there's enormous policy implications in, in understanding that diversity in your brokerage and understanding the nuances of this young population, I think is what I would leave you with. All great points. Understanding, obviously, that there are regulatory, local and national regulatory yeah. uh, areas for us to be involved in. I love the point about the language, right? Uh, you know, not preconceiving in our mind that there is a barrier that in many ways it's not as uh, big of a deal as even it might have been just one generation ago. So that's good news. And then, you know, obviously, as you said, the low hanging fruit of five million yeah. mortgage-ready Latino millennials. I mean, I think that is very exciting. But we do have to work on, obviously, the issues that make housing beyond, beyond their reach, right? Uh, because Like housing inventory. Uh, like housing inventory, yeah. exactly. Regulation that, that and, and, and to be quite honest, I think even this year, everybody is feeling a little bit of, of, of that anyways, but particularly sensitive there. James, let me um, ask you two questions related to that. And then obviously, any way you want to talk about nuances with us. But 
One is language. You know, you pointed out that this is a very diverse within a diverse population, the AAPI population. And, and so language could be very complicated. And then secondly, you know, a good six in 10 AAPI members of, of, of America are, are immigrants. And, you know, when they come from Asian and Pacific Island countries, they may have a very different or even non-existent credit profile, even though they might, you know, have income and they might even have wealth. They don't, there aren't necessarily credit tools that look like our credit tools. So how, how do we help? What, what types of things do we need to pay attention to as a brokerage community and how, and how do we help? Uh, thank you, Matthew. So on that, we always advocate at our policy day, our three-point plan, where we cover language access alternative credit and GSE reform. And I'll touch kind of going backwards with GSE reform. For some reason, we just need better education on all different types of credit and borrowing because a lot of times they go after 92%, they use the conventional loan. They don't use the three or 5%. They think because of, like we talked about credit, they like to pay all cash. I know my parents saved all the money so they can buy their car. They just feel, ooh, if they had some debt on their credit card, they didn't like it. So they paid it all off every month but we have to educate that building credit is okay. It's not debt, right? We don't want to uh, obviously borrow and buy a whole bunch of stuff on credit, but managing you know, how we manage credit to build our credit profile so we can purchase homes and we can do more is very important. So with GSE reform, we just have to educate more AAPIs because 92% use that conventional loan. And on when we call with the credit fund, like Noreen was talking about, that we were, we were saying that, there are so many people within our communities, within the minority diverse communities that could buy real estate, right? They're ready for homes, but because they're evaluated different from the old FICO model, we need a new system because they may be paying their mortgage, their other payments, they may be paying, you know, their cell phone bills. But now if you, if you kind of take away and just using the old model, you're eliminating, as you can see, 5 million, 3 million from the API. That's a lot of people ready to buy homes and create wealth. So it's so important as we all work together. And there's a lot of things I know within all of our diverse communities that we have more in common than not in common. So very, very great to work together. And then the other one is the language access because of so many different languages that we have and everyone comes over at different times. If you talk to some people, you know, yes, the Chinese have come very early with the railroads, but even in the state of Asia America report, the Filipinos were in Louisiana back in the 1700s, mid 1700s. I, I didn't know that either. But then you see the Chinese coming over, the Japanese coming over at a different time. Now you're seeing a lot of Southeast Asians coming over like the Vietnamese, Indians coming over. So it's all at different times and coming to be Americans, right? So the, it's very different when you talk to somebody and assuming there's something, right? Everyone says during COVID, it's unfortunate because it slowed a lot of the AAPI with COVID with the hate crimes, unfortunately, and the rhetoric and everything else going on, it's not being helpful. Definitely. Because right now, they are afraid to move to different locations that they may not be an AAPI presence where they would have before because they're like, wait a minute, let's just stay where we're safe. Let's stay where our community's at. And now we won't venture out because of a feeling of discrimination. So I want to bring that up because I feel it like many of us here, we understand it. Even though I was born in America, sometimes, you know, they, they treat me as an uh, immigrant and they said, I, I, you know, just by the color of our skin without, let's get to know each other. Then make a judgment. There's always good and bad in everyone. So get to know people. Don't use always the, the stereotypes. And joining ARI is a great way to learn about diversity within the API community, learn about the culture 
and different languages and collaborating with those that can speak another language to help your brokerage business. Well, and I think that's a tremendously important note uh, because, you know, the real estate community itself is uniquely situated to help educate, but also to help expand the fair access, equal access to housing, and uniquely situated to play this role just in society, if you will, in a way. Like we are able sort of door-to-door, neighborhood by neighborhood to make the world a better place by making sure that people understand that, you know, we have the same desires, the same dreams, home ownership, wealth, the ability also just to be a good member of the society and and mobility. You know, I, I do think it's important. All of you have mentioned to some degree, there are these sort of like tendencies for people to get a little nervous, stay within their existing community when, you know, in a great big country like ours, opportunity might be facilitated if we can improve uh, their mobility. We have about, oh, just under 10 minutes left. So what I would love to do is get from each one of us, because this is so exciting, we could do this for hours, I know, but I know that you all do this all the time. And you're doing this as part of different organizations that are doing it every day. So what I really want to leave our viewers with is not just these good ideas, these key insights you've given us today, but how do they get involved? So how do they join? And what would they expect if they got involved? Like what would be the opportunities for them to learn and to give and to participate in it? So let's just roll backwards. James, how do I become an ARIA member? What are you guys doing on a day-to-day basis that I can uh, contribute to? Well, Matthew, thank you for that. So we do, like NAREP, uh, our convention's coming up on the 14th through the 16th, virtual like everyone else this year. Uh, but one of the great things is to learn more about ARIA and to really understand is to join the local chapter. And if there isn't any ARIA local chapters, which we are the largest Asian trade organization with over 17,000 members, 41 chapters. And if you'd love to set up a new chapters, please call me if there's not an ARIA chapter in your, in your neighborhood or your state. Love to help you. And, you know, these conferences, the large national conferences, like our national conference coming up, a policy day or our global luxury, those are signature events where you get to see ARIA members from all around the country. And you will see the diversity within the community and the acceptance that we do welcome everyone, that they do embrace our our community. And then, then you can learn from best practices, really how to engage our policy, what affects our community, but really then to Having great, having great fun, as, as if you've, and many others have come to the ARIA conventions, we just have, like to have a great time also, get some business done, but we have a great time and network and collaborate. And I always encourage everyone to join or go by everyone's national conventions and the big ones, get to know, give it a chance. It's not gonna happen going one time or two times. You kind of have to give it a little time to permeate and sink in and, and really be open-minded to understand the culture and the people And when you do that, you're going to benefit in ways that you don't even understand. And then you'll see that you'll want to take leadership and get more involved and then really collaborate. That's how I got to know everyone Mm -hmm. here so well is because taking leadership, you build friendships with each other and we cross trade and we help each other in whatever we can. So, you know, I just say get involved with ARIA, but get involved with all of the trade organizations so you learn about diversity and it just better makes you better skilled to be a broker manager, recruitment and serving the community.
And, and, and I know that it's super affordable, obviously, to join ARIA. But as you said, there are state, many state and local chapters. And you're, you know, all of our groups here are appearing at realtor conventions. They're at all of the Realogy conferences. They're at other conferences as well. So, you know, everywhere you might be as a real estate broker, you have an opportunity to learn and get, and get connected. Noreen, tell us a little bit about uh, how do I get involved with NAREP and what can I do? I want to get involved. I don't want to just you know, join the association. How will you, uh, you know, get me busy in solving some of these problems and being part of the solution? Absolutely. Well, first of all, there is a conference going on right now at Latitude all over the country. Uh, we have about 100 chapters. So I encourage you to go to our website. You can get involved locally or you can get involved at the national le- level. We have two major conferences a year, one in the fall in our policy conference in the, in the spring. We also have our National Advocacy Committee, which I lead, which is uh, part of the work that I've been doing for the past two years is really leveraging the power of numbers that we have to really be a force to reckon with when it comes to advocacy. But we offer also the Hispanic Wealth Project, which uh, you, you referenced earlier, which is a platform that we've used to, to provide culturally sensitive financial literacy. We have established what we call the NARP 10 financial disciplines that have revolutionized our numbers and galvanized our members in a way that um, nothing else has. And it's a lifestyle and financial decisions that you can make. And, and we're spreading that message out to our community. You know, a lot of our members are influencers within their own respective communities. So going out to churches, to schools, in different organizations in order to triple median household wealth for the community. So Tons of different ways that you can get involved. We like to call ourselves a familia. So if you join our organization, I think you'll see that. We're a family and we have each other's backs. And there's no question. I mean, I, I, I'm a local chapter member. I get lots of texts from the group. <laughs> like there's always an opportunity to get together, always an opportunity to hear as speakers. I mean, it's yeah. a very active association. Very active. So super kudos to that work there. Donnell, how do our viewers get engaged with NAREB and what are some ways in which they can participate in creating change? Well, Matt, I would strongly encourage that your viewers get in, and your brokers that are out there get involved with HouseDenTheCar.com. We have developed a program that touches and reaches out to really every genre of Black people, but really focusing in on the 1.7 million Black millennials that make over $100,000, but do not own a home, whether they've been affected by the Great Recession or, or they don't know or whatever it is. But I mean, from police officers to teachers, I mean, these people are real in their lives. So we developed houseinthecar.com. We are looking for ambassadors is what we call them on our list. Now, this site has everything that they need. And then we're adding on because we're getting a lot of questions from these younger folks who want to be invested. We're getting questions from those folks that want to be uh, developers and want to come into real estate and get their licenses. So we're adding on a school function so they can identify a school near them. So look, we are aggressively, we're asking for that participation. We're asking for inclusion. Let's learn from each other on the house and the car.com. Also coming up, perfect opportunity is we're having our second annual national conversation on black home ownership. And at that time, we will be delivering or dispersing our State of Housing and Black America report. You can go to the website now, store and download an executive summary and a table of contents 
but that will be released at the National Conversation on Black Homeownership, which is October 27th. Very proud of the work that we're doing. I'm, I'm very pleased and happy that I was able to be the architect of most of it. That, that's where we are. Those two things cool. I was strongly encouraged. Thanks. Excellent. Excellent. We appreciate that. And John, I know that you mentioned in the beginning, so I'd love for you to just tell us how we can participate. The Real Estate Alliance is, is new now, right? So this is something that's just getting rolling. And so it could use the help of all of our viewers. So tell us how to be part of it. Well, it's quite miraculous, the fact that this started in June. Yes, we were all involved in the industry and uh, with LGBTQ issues, but the fact that we already have 35 chapters is pretty amazing, and also Puerto Rico, and it's just truly amazing the dedicated people that are involved with this, and so I am just honored to work with them, but one of our big purposes is to, I mean, our three things are advocacy, education, and networking, and we're a consumer-facing entity. And it's really about, um, you know, we do a lot of great things on a national level, but it's in the local markets, in the communities. And so that's where we see a major difference is what, you know, we're about is, is making that. And I, I would be remiss if I don't mention this, because many do not know this, but there is no federal protection against LGBTQ being discriminated against in housing in the United States. A lot of people are shocked by that. But technically, if I rent an apartment with my spouse, um, we could actually get evicted because we're gay. So I just want to put some perspective on the conversation because a lot of people don't realize that. Now, there are some states that obviously have protections and local municipalities, but uh, I think there's about 23 to 25 uh, states where there is no protection as well. But on a federal level, there is none. So, but hopefully with the new census data, they are um, recording as far as same-sex marriages. So we are going to start to see some data. So I think it's an opportunity to really look at that. And obviously on a national level, we're five years into marriage equality. And now with the Supreme Court decision in June, as far as, you know, not be able to be fired for being gay, that's going to change a lot of things. So it's going to be very interesting data in, in the coming months and years uh, to see what's out there. But I would say go to, uh, you know, our website is in beta now, should be released within a week. And also a membership drive starts in October. And we're going to be obviously on a social media outlet. So. So you won't be hard to find. And you know, it's a good, it's a really important thing to call out that there are not federal housing protections for, for the LGBTQ community. It's a big deal. It has to change. The interesting thing though, and, and I think this is also important to point out, is that, you know, Realogy is heavily involved, not only in those types of initiatives, but with all of our uh, associations that are represented on our panel here today. You know, the Obergefell decision actually was a case that involved a Realogy brand broker. It was a cold wool banker broker in the heart of that uh, decision. So it just continues to show, you know, Realogy's leadership in the industry, but also in these important issues, all of which all of our guests here today have pointed out are about educating ourselves, expanding the diversity in the industry, and then engaging each one of these diverse communities to learn more, understand what the problems are, recognize that there are problems, and then get involved in changing them. I know that it would be a hundred times benefit to join all of these associations. You know, the, the costs on all of them are, are so infinitesimally small for the amount that you would learn in just one uh, educational moment with them or one great conversation like we've had here with our friends today. I want to thank all of you for your time today. I want to thank you more importantly for your passion and your dedication to helping you know, all of our viewers and the industry as a whole, and obviously our nation uh, be just stronger by understanding the opportunity and the needs of the diverse uh, community market. So James, James Wong, Narina Limon, Danelle Williams, uh, John Thorpe, thank you ever so much. We, we do appreciate it.
And that wraps up this episode. I hope the conversation you just heard offered some insights and understanding into the demographic trends that are driving real estate growth today. Thank you for listening and subscribing to our podcast. As always, if you enjoy our show, please encourage others to subscribe. And don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. I'm Matthew Ferreira, and this has been Explore Expert Conversations from Realogy. We'll see you next time. Thank you.